0: And if you can be, uh, you can be turning to Acts chapter 9 in your Bibles. We're going to look at the, the very last section, verses 32 to 42 in Acts chapter 9. And I hope this morning that we can rekindle my prayer for us and many ways, and just own my, my own personal life, it's been a personal prayer of mine for several months just for the Lord to ignite the adventure of following him again. When life can just get usual and routine gets predictable. <clears throat> we all like routine. And I think routine serves us in, in good ways. Uh, Wednesday night, we were considering this at the men's meeting that, you know... Th- I don't know if it was this one or the past one. (laughs) But uh, you know why you tend to sit in the same spot at church? It's because you have, by doing that, you have closed off the distractions for you to be able to pay attention. That's why you do that. When you go to the same place to pray, you try a new, try this week, try a new place to pray, you're going to be thinking, man, I have never, ever seen all this stuff around me. Look at this. So there's, there's a good part about our routine, but our routine sometimes can give us tunnel vision to where we don't pay attention to the things that God might be doing. And so we need to have this, I think it's a healthy tension. Yeah, enjoy your spot that you sit in in church, but shake it up a little bit. Every now and then, try a new spot. Try to be around somebody new. It's encouragement to the guys that we gave. Kerr led us in that. Let's look at verses 32 to 42. Lord, we ask that you would restore the adventure of following you. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Lord bless the preaching of your word. Amen. You know, we are in this narrative that Luke... Is giving us. We have been. Remember, chapter nine is about Saul, Paul's conversion, and then his uh, the opposition and the assimilation difficulties that he had in both in Damascus and Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, now in verse thirty-two, we have now as Peter was going here and there. There's a little shift in who is doing what, and uh, just bigger context, uh, Luke is giving us understanding. He's doing so, God's doing something in Peter's heart that will allow the church to keep on going. Remember, uh, and, and we're going to see this in chapter 10 next week, Peter goes to the Gentiles the people that the Jews are not supposed to interact with. Even Peter later on in his life had difficulty. He, he strayed from the Gentiles, was hanging out more with the Jews and didn't want to be around the Gentiles, kind of thinking, eh, maybe this clean thing, I need to stay away. God's doing something. He's revealing something in Peter's heart, but bigger than all of those contexts of maybe what Luke is doing. We see we see Peter doing exactly what Jesus did during his ministry on the earth. And I think that's purposeful. Luke wants us to know. Peter, I think, is giving Luke some of these details. Uh, nobody knows. If, if, everybody's, if Peter sent everybody out of the room and he went in knelt and prayed, how did Luke know that? Peter probably told him. Yeah, I went in, sent everybody out, I went in, I knelt down, and I prayed, and I was scared to death because he probably was. Now, we can take these types of stories and we can treat them as if they are very far off and we, our lives will never touch them. If God called me to call somebody awake who was dead, I would be terrified to try that. Do I believe God has the power to do it? Absolutely. He can just use somebody else because I'm not sure I would risk it for that biscuit. Mm-mm but as i say that i'm convicted wait a minute this is written for our instruction this is written for our faith this is written for us to say maybe god will call me to do that one day and i want to be listening i want to be prepared i want to be ready for when the lord would lead me like that see We must have an eager expectation and anticipation in our Christian walk. That every single day, get this, every single day of our Christian life should feel like we should fight for the anticipation that matches a Christmas morning when we were kids. Or the anticipation of a vacation that we've been planning for and looking forward to, and finally the day has come. You know that feeling? I believe God wants us to live in that feeling. Yeah, there are things that are going to come and oppose us and distract us and get us to feel like the vacation, because we've all had <laughs> the moments where you try to go on vacation and everything goes wrong that day. Yeah, there's there's... There's a fight for joy that we need to have and maintain. But I think God smiles upon us in that way. He wants us to know. He wants us to say, I've got something to show you today. And I want you to to be ready for it. See, every day should carry for the believer, because we have we, we have the joy of the Lord, we have the Spirit's empowerment in us. Every day should be the anticipation of Christmas. Us looking for God's power and His desire to meet us where we are in our day. To give a few uh, four different observations to look at in these uh, two paragraphs that we'll put together, rather than go. Piece by piece, we're going to look at just kind of the whole aerial view, just some observations to make. Because in both of these, uh, like I said before, Peter is just doing what Jesus did. He did what he saw Jesus do. Aeneas' healing looks and sounds like the paralytic coming down through the roof that Mark 2 uh, describes. Remember, there, Jesus is teaching in the house, and the four friends, they're peeling apart. The roofs were like probably 18 inches to 2 feet of uh, dirt because dirt was a good insulator. They're ripping that apart. Now, that's, that's obnoxious to do. That's very rude in our Americanism. That's very, in our Western culture, that's, you don't interrupt the teacher like that. But yet, I, I wonder if everybody else's faces that Jesus were looking at looked like this. I can't believe this is happening. Well, Jesus' face looked like this. Keep it coming. Come on. They lower the pater- paralytic right in front of Jesus. And the, two, the four are still out there looking down. Lower him. Your sins are forgiven. Get up. He gets up. Look, this is like a mother's favorite verse, I think. Aeneas, Jesus Christ, he you. Rise and make your bed. <laughs> Sometimes. Parenting feels like calling something from the dead, right? Calling para- paralysis to life. Just make, just please make your bed. <laughs> Lord, we need your resurrection power for chores. Yes, we do. But Peter's just doing, I saw Jesus do this. I'll give it a shot. Tabitha's resuscitation looks and sounds like Jairus' daughter being raised. We have that in Mark chapter 5. Remember, Jairus comes to get Jesus and they're on their way and this woman who had this bleeding for 12 years comes and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and Jairus. Think about Jairus in that moment. My daughter, you're stopping. Now there's something beautiful that takes place in that moment. I think Jesus is teaching Jairus a lesson about fatherhood and, and, and the father's heart. Because remember Jesus when he heals that woman he says who touched me everybody's touching you what are you talking about no somebody touched me because power went out from me and the woman outed herself and she said it was I did it and he calls her we don't know her name but Jesus says to her daughter your faith has made you well he stopped for his daughter that's who Jesus stopped for Jairus got to go got oh too late she's already dead don't bother to teach her anymore Jesus looks at him in a very caring, fatherly way and says, oh, hold on, it's going to be all right. He goes in, says to her, uh, Jesus says to her, Talitha kumi, one letter off from what Peter says. Peter says, Tabitha kumi. Jesus says to her, little girl, rise. Peter says, Tabitha, rise, get up. He's just simply doing what Jesus did. I think Peter also knew the Old Testament when Elisha was, uh, went to, to, was called upon God to raise the widow's son in 2 Kings chapter 4. He went in. Jesus sent everybody out of the room. Elisha sends everybody out of the room. Kneels down, prays. Take, Jesus takes, Tabith, uh, takes uh, uh, the, Jairus' daughter by the hand and raises her up. It's, just, it's the same thing Jesus did. So what do we learn from this? We've got to know what Jesus did. We have to invest ourselves. We've got to be around Jesus enough in his word, being sensitive to the spirit. We've got to know what he did so we can do the same things. But it matters that we have a faith response to what he's calling us to do. The second observation is this. We need faith for the impossible. Sometimes it's impossible to think that God will even use us to do something. But we need, to, we need to have, and, and we have the, uh, the promise that faith is a gift from the Lord. So it's not something we generate inside of us. It's not something that we're trying to you know, put, put uh, um, electrodes on to figure out or jumper cables to try to get us to have enough faith. We don't, we don't pep ourselves up. In we, we simply say, Lord, please give me the faith to believe this. But anytime, time, remember, any time we walk in faith, it's a risk. Any time we do. But stepping out in faith involves risk. And for the believer, for Peter in this moment, that risk was right because of the outcome of the healing that took place. Now, what happens if it doesn't work out that way? You know what people see? They see somebody who trusted the Lord. That's what people say. See, we think that it needs to end up in a healing or an answered prayer or... No, what's the risk for us? If God doesn't answer the way we're asking, what's the risk? Well, somebody just saw that, man, you really trusted God for that. Ah, so we did put faith on display. It was something God will use. Remember Hebrews 11, chapter 1 gives us the... No, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Gives us the definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That not seen, we hope for a lot. We hope for things all the time. But it's the conviction of things not seen. What exactly is the conviction of things not seen? I think we see a a little glimpse into that in Mark chapter 9. When Jesus comes, context from there, Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration with uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. This glorious moment had just happened and Peter, uh, Jesus, and the disciples, the three, happen upon the disciples who are trying to cast out a demon from a man's son, and they can't do it. The disciples look at Jesus, we can't do it, I don't know what's going on. So this, Jesus looks at the man and says for exactly how. Jesus says, you need to believe. And the man, the father says, if you can, oh, that's right. The father says, if you can help. Jesus says, if you can. See, that, that's a statement of, don't you, aren't, aren't you convinced of things you don't see? Aren't, there's the aspect of faith to trust who Jesus is. And the man says this. I believe, let's right in your notes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, isn't that our prayer most of the time? Lord, help my, I do believe you. I believe you are God and you are in control of everything. But sometimes I struggle to think that the God who holds the constellations in place and commands every star to stay and they obey, I have a hard time thinking he's gonna come through for me. Help my unbelief. Second Corinthians 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. See, the man whose, whose son was demon-possessed, all he could see was, this isn't working. This isn't going to happen. But when Jesus shows up, our faith should say, but Jesus is here. That means it rewrites the story that means there's still an opportunity for him to come through that means that means uh, my my feelings or my emotions or my conclusions or my determinations they don't matter in this moment jesus is what matters in this moment so i look at jesus he is the one that now is unseen but seen because we experience his resurrection power and we we have evidence of his resurrection power in our transformation of becoming more and more like Him. We see it in the people that are around us and that we love. But think about this. We trust God for our salvation. Do you know that's an impossible thing? We already trust God for the impossible. There is, we trust that there is no way for us to fix ourselves or to do enough to tell God that we, we are good enough for you to accept us. There's nothing we can do. There's no currency that we can give God to pay Him off. We stand stand on the other side. The Bible tells us in very real, we stand on the other side of God's wrath, not His love. We stand on, we're in opposition to Him because of our sin, and the Bible says we're separated from Him. That's an impossible chasm. It's impossible for us to get there. But Jesus comes to us and he simply says, trust me for your salvation. Repent of your sins. Commit your life to me. Begin a relationship. And in that moment, the impossible happens. God, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us. Isn't that amazing? That's impossible. But yet if we trust that every day, we're already having faith for the impossible. So why not trust him for the things around us with the same faith? God, you, you have saved me. When I could not manufacture any good works that would, would please you to accept me, I couldn't get acceptance by anything I can do. I could only get acceptance through Jesus and my faith in him. And that's a gift. God, I trust you. I can trust you. For these things that are going around. So we need to learn, we trust Him for our salvation, which is an impossible feat. We need to learn to trust Him with what we think is impossible in our lives. See, so when God shows up and gives these miraculous healings, you know, He is, uh, Jesus, when He was on this earth, showed His authority over sin and sickness. And, uh, and separation from him in death. And now, through the Apostle Peter, and this spills over into chapter 10, Jesus is again showing that he, is, he has authority over disease, which is paralysis, death, but also in chapter 10, he has the power over discrimination too. When he, when he saves the Gentile in the same way. See, when God brings healings in whatever category, when he brings answer to prayer, it's eternal life that's on display. That's our third observation. Jesus' authority over disease and death is a foretaste of heaven. We get a little bit of heaven today. But it's also a visible demonstration of his resurrection life. And look, church, God wants to display his resurrection life in us. And then through us, he wants us. See, his miracles authenticate his message. The miracles authenticate the message of Jesus as the only way to salvation. And what happens when this eternal life is on display? People turn to the Lord. Look in verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. And then look. In verse uh, 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. God blesses us to draw others to him, to trust him, so then they can get in on the blessing too. Isn't that amazing? It's just absolutely amazing, but yet we we will disqualify ourselves or nullify uh, uh, the fact that God even wants to bless us at all. He really does want to bless us. He is inclined toward us. See, the, the, we think what we think are the dead things in our lives can be the very opportunity for God to reveal His power, and the resurrection of Jesus and the eternal life that He has given us can be on display for others to get in on as well. But you know what we see over all of this? We see the Father's heart. God, He heals to express His care for His children. He, he just lets us know, I love you. I love you. And so we, we should be in a place to where we can risk again and, and ask God to maybe even revive the prayers that are now dormant of our lives because God just, nothing's changing. So what do we do? We ask God to revive faith in us so we can pray that prayer again. And we can ask God, can you please display your Father's heart? Look, what I love about this, look at verse 37. In those days, Tabitha became ill and died. And when she had washed, they had washed it later in the upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa, hearing Peter was there, verse 39. So Peter rose and went with them, and he arrived. They took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. This was simply a servant in the church. He said, look, look what she did for us. And the father says, isn't that great? Let's bring her back to life so she can continue to serve. Now, I think about this with Lazarus and Tabitha. I wonder if they're like, what? i got to go back? Come on. This is great. I'm with you. I see. No, you got to go back. you got to serve the church some more. You know, there's something in there that just realized that, you know, we, we long for and want heaven, but there is ministry for us to fulfill today. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, Paul said that in Philippians. You know, to depart from this earth is to be with Christ. And that's really what I want to do. But there's still fruit for la- fruitful labor left for me to accomplish. And that's why I'm still here. We have that same commission. But when we go to the Lord in our prayers, we are asking for God's power to show up as a demonstration of eternal life. But also, like, Lord, can you just remind me of your love? Can you just remind me again of your love? i going to have a prayer time to pray for dead things. Things that in your life are just paralyzed. The, the categories would be uh, a spiritual deadness, perhaps. A spiritual paralysis that you're just thinking, I just can't, I, I don't find any motivation whatsoever to read my Bible. I don't feel any motivation to live like Jesus, to look like Jesus. I kind of am tempted to not look like him in any category. So we want to pray for spiritual deadness. We want to pray for emotional deadness. Particularly our affections for the Lord. Have our affections wandered? Are they really on the Lord? Or how about this, the emotional deadness that happens when we just ask the Lord for a particular breakthrough, and it's just not happening. Maybe there's relational deadness. Where there's a relationship that you have asked the Lord to touch and heal. Maybe a spouse. Maybe a child. A parent. Friend. Coworker. And it's just, it's just dead. That's what we want God to... Put his finger on and bring back to life, and and so we can look at that and say, rise, get up, serve the Lord. Maybe we're still we struggle with a, a physical deadness, sickness, a paralysis. That's like I just been praying for this, and it's not going away. What do I do? What do I do? So like I feel led that this would be a. a, a Private moment first-ish. Um, but I, I want invite, to invite the church to come up and pray. And, you know, if you've grown up in church, this a lot of times is referred to as the altar. Because in the Old Testament, we see that when there was an altar with God's people, something of them was laid down. And when they rose, they picked up something from God and His identity. There's nothing magical or mystical about coming to pray at a couple steps in front of a stage. But you know what it does? It gets us to engage in a better way. It gets us to engage, to say, Lord, I have moved out of what's comfortable I'm in a different spot. I want to hear you. I want to hear your pronouncement of love. And God, I ask for faith for you to revive and resuscitate and bring to life that which is dead. Amen. That's what we're asking the Lord for. That's what we're asking the Lord for. So, take a little private moment. Identify what spiritually is going on, what emotionally, relationally, physically is happening. And I invite you to come pray. I would love to, Kerr and I want to make ourselves available. We want to pray with you as well. We absolutely want to pray with you to see breakthrough. So church, let's respond to the Lord.
1: I thought by now I don't see. Keep going.
2: Just just say that together. Let's say that together. That that phrase, do it again. Just say that, Lord, do it again. Do it again, Jesus. I just love these stories in the book of Acts. It's like God just reminding us, I can do that again. I can arise the dead. I can heal the sick. I can provide everything that you need. Lord, do it again. But all of the people out there that were praying, the ones at the altar that are praying, Lord, would you do it again in their life, in their relationships, in their finances, in their health, in their spirituality, in their emotions. Lord, visit us in our in our anxiety. Visit us in our depression. Visit us in our joys. Just like I prayed over the all the couples and the individuals, Lord, you parted the sea. You turned water into wine. And your promise and revelation is this I in making all things new. Lord, if anything today, when we go out those doors, may faith not be an issue. May all of us have ears to hear. Maybe tomorrow morning, before we get ready for work or school or whatever, may you just whisper, here's your assignment today. And may we say, here I am, Lord. May we hear of miracles this week. Evidence of the resurrection power. In Jesus' name. All right, guys, I have a couple of announcements before we go. Man, I love prayer time. We need to do that more. Man, ooh, this is a holy Bible right here. This is a big one. <laughs> but look, I have a couple of announcements. I won't take a long time. I know I can talk. That is a Shalmanesian in in me, and I'm hopefully I'm never cured of that. But guys, I'm gonna be frank with you, just like I was with the guys at Wednesday night's group. Man, the men's group is so good. It's funny, we, come, we came with a book to go through, and we r- r- rarely discussed that book. <laughs> so, the men's group's good. The, the youth Bible study just ended was so good, we got to see three new youth that weren't part of our group just attend, and man, it was, the youth led their own youth through the Bible It was so good. But October 13th, which is next Friday, Friday the 13th, we have a worship and prayer night. I would love to see everybody here, there. I'm tired of seeing the same seven people, no offense. And it's good. But man, what, what could happen if everybody showed up and cried out to the Lord? So I don't care if you've got to cancel a lunch date, a work date. Just cancel it and make yourself available to come worship and pray with the church. Kids, bring your kids. Your kids need to see you pray. They need to see mommies and daddies and grandma and grandpas crying out to their Savior. Because one day, those children will have to make a decision to make Jesus theirs. And what better evidence before their eyes is to see the church praying together. So October 13th, 7 p.m. here, we will pray and worship and cry out to the Lord. Um, Acts 9.31, I believe, is the verse. Is that correct? That's kind of going to be the theme, like the the whole focus of the prayer time. How that's going to happen, we shall find out. But just look at that verse this week and ask the Lord to put something on your heart. Prayer time with believers is supposed to be a time where we dine and we share the meals that the Lord has given us. I'm getting emotional. I could keep talking about that, but I'm not. Next announcement is October 15th. It's a busy week this week. We have our church family picnic at Boga Park. We got the gazebo. We have the food. We're going to have the chairs and the tables, and everything's going to be provided for us. We just want you to show up so that we can enjoy being a church family together to talk to people that we don't normally get to talk to, to be around each other, laugh, play. You know me, I'm going to have a game for something for the kids to play that will wear me out, but make them super pumped up when they go home. You, they're going to be full of energy. But look, just come. You ain't got to bring anything. Just come, bring your family, invite your friend, invite your neighbor. Maybe they won't come sit in the, in the seat, but they will come to a picnic and say, hey, food's free. My dad told me the best food is free food. Okay. So that's October fifteenth. Next, October twenty fifth is a is a two thing. One, the youth. Just to give, just to let the church know what the youth is doing. I have been meeting with some youth pastors around different areas, and I've made a really good connection with a youth group in Tickfall, Louisiana. That's where I deliver coffee too, so I know that area really good. But the youth, it's been interesting. I meet with some youth pastors. They don't seem very excited, but this youth pastor ate it up. She's like. They were like, as a husband and wife, they were like, we would love to do something with your youth. So we're going to do a harvest party with them October 25th. Our youth is going to go to their church and celebrate, have games. They're going to do worship together and stuff like that. And we're just going to have a really good time with another youth group. So it's two youth groups, two churches, one hangout. It's going to be fun. If you know any youth that would love to be a part of this, I'm the tri- I am try. I got a, a car that fits eight. I might need some other parents to come bring kids up there with me. So if you'd like to volunteer to hang out that day, I could use your help. Um, so it's going to be fun, food, games, all that stuff. And then also the men's group ends October 18th, and Pastor Jeff is going to start a study October 25th, which is a four-week study right before the Thanksgiving holidays. It's going to end, and it's going to be looking at contentment seeing the goodness of God in life. And so that's going to be, through the 15th, it's going to be $10 for the book. He's always cheaper than what I charge. Um, But you can sign up in the bulletin. Um, They got a QR code, scan it. You go to the website, hit events, go to the calendar, do that, and stuff like that. So if you want to learn more about contentment and stuff like that, what it means for your life, what God, the promises of God, what the goodness of God in your life is, it is a good group. We do these groups so that we can grow, like like we talked about. So we can grow and being more and more like Christ. Okay, so let's everybody stand. and Let's do our Great Commission. So we talked about how we're living out this commission. Now, let's uh, look at the Great Commission. I gotta find it. This Bible's different than mine. Okay, here we go. Got it. Tell you this is a holy Bible right here. Okay. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Be blessed.